hello, and welcome to the Jill Cruz podcast. This is Jill Cruz. Today, I had an amazing conversation with Dr. Shanice Chris. And Shanice is, oh, she's just amazing. You're going to love her energy. We talked about public health policy, and she said that public health is everywhere. And I love, love, love that thought. So you're not alone in your health. We talked about the different layers of health. It's not just the individual. It's also the you know, interpersonal and community and organizations. And so we talked about that. And we talked about what she sees as her most important uh, issue that she wants to address in public health right now. So we talked about that. And just in general, different aspects of public health and how it relates to individual health. I think this is such an amazing conversation because it was something that I really didn't think about was how public health and my individual health are connected, how they're interconnected in benefiting me as an individual, but also how I can affect change and help others in the world, in the community. So it's definitely a different perspective than I had been thinking about. And I think you're going to enjoy that aspect of it and also just enjoy listening to Shanice and her energy and her spirit and her incredible intellect. So uh, enjoy this episode and please share with friends. Hello, Shanice. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you today. Jill, thank you so much. I am glad to be here. Yes, me too. So we talked a little bit and the thing that I want to start off with is this idea that you presented to me, which is very interesting. It's not something I think about a lot, is that normally people think about health on the individual level, which makes sense. But what you're talking about is actually there's so much more to health. It's not just the individual. There are layers to it. And so I'd love to hear more about that and, you know, relating it to what you do and what you're passionate about. Okay. Thank you. I am so glad we're starting with this because I love this topic. So my background is public health research. And in public health, we really focus on societal roles in health. So there's a model called the social ecological model. And in it, when you think of any health issue, you think about it from five different layers. So the first is individual, what I'm gonna do about a situation. But then we look at interpersonal. So you can think about what influence do your family and your friends have on this health issue? How can they support you? Sometimes how might they hinder you? Then you look at organizational. So you can think about in schools or in your job. Then you have community level. So are there different collaborators you could be with? So, or what is that communication plan to the community? And then the final layer is policy. And so if I apply that, let's say someone who wants to be healthier, they want to do more physical activity. So the individual, they can think about, okay, I'm going to go walk every morning at seven. Now, family and friends, maybe they really need supportive family. So maybe they're like, you know, my daughter is going to walk with me. That's going to be great to have that social support. Then they go to work. And this actually happened at my job. We developed the Power One Walkers, which we said were, we are empowering you to walk at one. So for the job, it was part of it that people went for a walk at one o'clock. And so that's something wow. at the organization that's supporting it. Then in the community, there might be different 5K races or 5K walks mm -hmm. or runs. There might be 
um, PSAs, public service announcements about the benefits of walking. And then with policy, if you think in a local level, for instance, where I live, now we say each subdivision has to have sidewalks. That means it's going to be a safer environment for me to walk in. So when I think mm-hmm. about health, I think about what we can do individually, but I also think about those other layers that support you so that you create an environment. So the healthy choice is the easy choice. Oh, the healthy choice is the easy choice. I love that. <laughs> that sounds like something we have programs where we work individually with people and, you know, how do we make it easier, right? Like making the healthy habits easier and the not so healthy habits harder. That's so right. I, I love, I love that little tagline, make the healthy choice, the easy choice, because there, there are so many barriers and, and that's, to me, what's so interesting about what you're bringing to this conversation is that as, as an individual practitioner, you know, I mean, I have um, nutritionists who work worth, with me, but we're, you know, we work one-on-one with clients. And when we work with the individual, we see all of those barriers that are there, whether it's the interpersonal, my husband always has potato chips in the house, <laughs> or the organizational, my job works me to the bone. Right. That is a very, very common. Not most people don't have such a wonderful organization to work for as you do. (laughs) Well, actually, with that, we had a health committee. So maybe Mm -hmm. it's people taking action to see if there's ways that the organization will be open to that. And so as employees, this was a former place that I worked. We said we see that people working here are declining in health. And that's not what you want for people working for your organization. And we asked if we could make a committee to think about ways to help people be healthier. And so that was something that we did and it was effective. Yeah, I love. And so what you're talking about is actually being proactive and and as an individual taking some responsibility and, and then hopefully affecting change that helps others, not just yourself. So that's a, that's a beautiful reminder. (laughs) You know, we're not, we're not all necessarily just victims in, in these circumstances. We can be more proactive. So, and that is a big lesson, I guess you could say, or something that we really try to coach our clients on is healthy responsibility. I, that's what we call it. It's, it's, it's not my, I didn't make up the term, uh, but that's what, you know, a, a term that I really enjoy using is healthy responsibility. Doesn't mean, cause I think what happens is if, if someone says, well, you know, my job is just not going to listen to me and, you know, our culture is just not like that. And it feels a little bit like if I say, well, why don't you talk to your managers? It feels a little, I think people sometimes feel a little bit like, they get their hackles up a little bit like, hey, it's not my fault. And it's like, well, I'm, it's not about blaming. It's, it's more about saying, okay, this is the situation. What can I do as an individual to take responsibility to this situation? So I just want to put that out there because I think it's really important that we that we do, we recognize our individual power. It's there. It exists. Ooh, I totally agree with you. And also sometimes partnership is helpful. So if you have a colleague Mm -hmm. and y'all are feeling the same way, maybe it's going to speak to someone together. Of course, with the Mm -hmm. lens, or I should say the posture of being helpful and not complaining. Right, right, of course. And, And I love what you said too, is that, look, if people are sick, 
and, and, you know, they're calling in sick or they're just not, you know, everybody's sitting at their desk, like, (laughs) that's not conducive to profitability to, to success as, as an organization. So, and also, I guess you, you could also not just corporations, but nonprofits and schools and, you know, all kinds of organizations. Right. Right. Yeah. And I also like what you were, when you were talking about the community side, I was thinking about how it's townships. Like I live in a town, it's suburban, but it's kind of a, there's township and they have, you know, they send in the mail, these, these booklets, all kinds of ways for people to get involved in the community, which which I think is all health related. It, It might be playing mahjong, which is not exercise, but interact, you know, getting that social interaction, which we know is so important for our health. But I I think that's a a wonderful thing to bring up is that our our townships, our communities do offer group hiking, like you said, you know, the runs and the free classes at like the community center. There's a lot of that 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 happens. So that's a good reminder, too. And one thing that you said that I like is when I think about health and longevity, I think about nutrition, physical activity, but social support. You said they were playing the games and then just ways to help um, keep your mental health going and your intellectual health. Reading, crossword puzzles, doing different mind games, but all four of those things are important. Mm -hmm. And I actually teach a class about wellness and we talk about chronic disease a lot. And I'm like, well, y'all, a lot of times it comes back to those four things. And the four things, say them again. Nutrition, physical activity, social support. So having a group of friends going out and then keeping yourself mentally stimulated. Okay. I love that. So nutrition, I'm a nutritionist, so I'm all for that one. (laughs) Physical activity. Social support. Social support. And then intellectual activity or keeping mentally stimulated. That is so wonderful that you're talking about that, the intellectual, because I myself have noticed over the years, paying a lot of attention to my habits that I'm trying to improve, that if I'm bored, I will go right to snacking. Mm. And so, I mean, I know the intellectual stimulation and activity is so much more than that, right? It's brain health and all of that. But also, I think when people are bored, they kind of, they get into trouble, you know? (laughs) So like you said, you know, reading, doing crossword puzzles, doing actual puzzles. Like, you know, I had a client... It's funny, I had a client, she, every night, she would watch TV and snack. Mm-hmm. And so what she did, she was watching the news, you know, she's very into the news. And so what she, this was her idea. She said, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to work on my puzzle while I'm listening instead of eating. And That's I was good. like, wow, yeah, that was a good idea. And she completely stopped her nighttime snacking by doing that. I love that. That was a great behavioral modification. And it's still, it was yes. doubly good intellectual stimulation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So tell me more about what you do on a day-to-day basis. Do you still work for this organization or you have your own company? What What is it that you do? So right now I am an associate professor in health sciences and I do public health research. So I teach undergrads. I do research. Oh. I have a, I'm part of a research group called Big Data for Health Equity. We do research with scientists from across the country, and we look at how societal issues impact health. And I'm also 
and a local elected official. So when we talk about public health, what are those ordinances, which are the local laws that can make everyone healthier? And then my most recent thing that I've really been enjoying is that I'm a content creator on Instagram and it's at uh -huh. Dr. Shanice, so D-R-S-H-A-N-I-E-C-E. And I focus on positivity and public health. And I call myself the public health edutainer. So that's putting education uh -huh. with entertainment. And I give really fun public health and health tips every day in an engaging way. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that, Shanice. I, like, you are, this is your thing. I mean, you are passionate about it. It's shining through. And it's also evidenced in how you're engaging your time for your work, you know, your professional life. It's just incredible. And I, I think like what I would like to kind of, for me, the way that I'm envisioning what you're talking about is we don't operate in a vacuum. Our health is part of this greater context of, you know, the community and organizations and all of these things that you're talking about. And it, it feels very friendly to think of it that way. It, it's like, I'm not alone. There's more out there. There are people out there like you who care and who, who really do care and are working to make our country. And we know we have so many problems <laughs> in our country with health, public health. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm just so happy to, to hear about it in this context because it does feel like less lonely, I guess. I'm so glad to hear that. And there are a lot of us. And so one thing that I really focus on on my Instagram is that health and things our society impact us, like my latest one that people really enjoyed. I talked about the importance of blue spaces. So, you know, we hear about green spaces and parks where there's new yeah. body of research talking about blue spaces and being around bodies of water and how that helps oh. our mental health. And there's a study showing that if children were exposed to blue spaces, they had overall better well-being in adulthood. That's why I love public health. It follows people over the lifespan. So we can mm. think about what are these environmental issues? What type of relationships you have in your family? Just yeah. what kind of stores are in your neighborhood and how all these things impact our health as well. And so my tagline is public health is everywhere because you can give me anything and I can tell you how it's related to public health. Wow. Public health is everywhere. I'm writing these things down. And blue spaces. Woo. Now that is, I love blue spaces. It, on my Instagram, which I'm not as, I think, active as you are, but because I walk every morning, I told you, uh, by the Hudson River. I live in New York. And I, I drive about 10 minutes. I park my car. There's a state park there. And I walk every morning. So I'm actually getting green because there's a mountain there. I'm getting green and blue spaces. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes, Perfect. yes, yes. I love that. And thank you for sharing that. It's, I don't know, I, I feel like there's got to, we're going to, we should create more of these spaces. Well, that's, I, I feel like there are going to be more of them, right? Like, <laughs> I think so. And that's the beauty of when you think about policy, when I was talking about the social ecological model, we do the research and we realize just these connections. So when I'm thinking about city planning and design, I'll think, okay, how can we have water and greenery in these spaces, more parks, yes. all of those things, but you also need funding. So cities right. can plan for parks, 
but many times you need private donors to help with other things because development is it's just it will continue to increase we need more housing for people but how can we be intentional in the design of neighborhoods and things like that yeah that's interesting i you know that that's a very interesting perspective as well as how do you manage that the inevitable growth right of like more housing being built and all of that but balancing that out with making sure that our public health is is part of the equation it's not just a concrete jungle <laughs> that's true and part of it something that studies have shown mixed use mixed income development so mixed use meaning you have mm -hmm. residential and businesses and then mixed income you have different housing at different price points because a lot of times when you have segregation or by income you will see that more affluent neighborhoods have more resources than um, mm -hmm. neighborhoods with more low income but if you can design neighborhoods mixed use mixed income that actually improves health for everyone. And in public health, we have something called a Gini coefficient, and it's a measure. It looks at inequality by nation. And countries who have more inequality financially, everyone's health is worse. And wow. so it's just very fascinating to think, even on that level, how you can ensure that everybody's health is better. Yeah. We, or where do we rate? Where does the U.S. rate in that equation? <laughs> Let me pull are it we, up. <laughs> are we not, not, not that high? I feel like there's a lot of inequality in this country. Okay. So in 2021, we had the Gini coefficient of 0.41. So indicates an increase of income inequality in the U.S. over the past 30 years. So and mm. this measure is from zero to one. And so zero in the case of perfect equality and one in the case of perfect inequality. And the U.S. Oh. is 0 0.49. Okay. So we're kind of sort of in the middle. Yep. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Wow. So, so inequality relates directly to the health, the public health of the, of yes, the nation. Yes, the health the of the entire population for the country. Yeah. What do you, th I, this may be, uh, we've been so positive. I feel like this conversation has been very uplifting and positive, but I have to ask, like, what do you see as the most challenging areas? I'm sure there are a lot, but, um, you know, what's on your mind in terms of, oh yeah, I really want to, I want to help, you know, as a public official, or as a professor, what is the area that you really want to, is there something burning inside of you that you're like, I, I gotta change this. Okay, yes. So my specific research is dealing with how racism impacts health. And so I wanna look at structural racism. So I wanna look at different laws or policies to see if, if there's anything built in that leads to inequality. And if that's the case, I'd like to look at those policies and laws and change them. So for instance, we know back in the 1950s, there was redlining, which meant that black people could only buy homes in the worst areas. So I'm actually on a research project right now, and we're looking at policies just to um, see if there's any inequality within the policy that people may not even realize is causing inequality today. So how can we change those okay. policies to make sure that everybody has 
access to opportunity. That's the big thing that's important to me. Not mm -hmm. everybody's going to take opportunity, but I want everybody to have access to opportunity and make sure there's right. not any barriers in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, have you been finding, cause I know a lot of people think that like, what I think is that there's racism is everywhere. It's, it's, we're all sort of steeping in it and, and <laughs> it's everywhere. And I have just even doing this podcast or talking to some of my other professional uh, colleagues even just in the past couple of months, hearing of individual situations where people went into a medical situation and experienced racism, just poor quality care. And it was obvious to these various situations, obvious that there was, it was racially biased. You know, one may say, well, there's, the laws are all protective against that. It's more of a cultural issue, but the fact that you're saying that there are laws that, you know, you're, you're in this part of this research of examining these laws to see there's still, it's still it built into the structure of the system. That I think is important for people to hear that that still exists because how are we ever going to change our culture if the structure still has these racist policies or, you know, whatever it is that you're looking at? Well, you bring up a very good point, because for any of these issues to change, it's not just going to be one thing. Hence, why I love the social right. ecological model so much. And so right. we have the policies. But yes, there definitely has to be things in culture that have to be addressed. And one part of our research that looks at how racism impacts health is birthing, pregnancy and birthing experiences. And so okay. my research team we talked to women across the country and we talked specifically to Asian and uh, Pacific Islander women, white, black, Latina, and Middle Eastern women. And it was mm -hmm. fascinating to hear everyone's experiences with pregnancy and birthing experiences. And just to hear those nuances between the groups and their, what, what kind of interactions they had in the healthcare system a lot dealing with race, but also immigration status, also mm -hmm. religion. So if someone mm -hmm. was Muslim and wore a hijab and how people were treated. So that was very eye-opening and people misidentifying others. So you may have someone who's South Asian, so um, Indian, but people mistaking them for Middle Eastern and how they were treated. And so that was just very fascinating research. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. There's so much, so much there. And uh, every time I get into these conversations, especially about like medical gaslighting and just, you know, entering into a system as a, in a very vulnerable situation, right? You're not going to the hospital when you're feeling great and you're at your best, right? <laughs> and you can advocate for yourself. Oh, you're not going, you know, when you're, when you're pregnant, it is a, a, somewhat of a vulnerable state, although I think it's also a very powerful state as, as a mother, you know, that it can be very empowering. But particularly when you're in labor, you're in no state to start to advocate for yourself. So it just, it makes me sad when I think about how many people are suffering when they're at perhaps their most vulnerable. It just, it breaks my heart. And I'm happy to hear, though, because I'm ever trying to be optimistic <laughs> that you are doing this, this research and, 
you know, I just feel like you're someone who's going to make so many wonderful changes in our world because you have that passion. And I can tell you really, really care. And you're so smart. Um, like we Thank need so, so many much. more women like you. <laughs> I appreciate yeah, it. It's just by meeting you. I do feel like a little bit of hope. You know, I feel like we can easily get overwhelmed, but then it, it really does come down to the individuals who are going to, like we talked about earlier, go and talk to your HR manager, or go with a friend, uh, you know, maybe talk to your elected officials. Oh, people should do that. That's how change is going to happen. Now that I have to say this about elected officials, especially on a local level, a lot yeah. of people don't get involved in local politics. So if you right. come to the city council meetings, if you email the official, if you ask for a meeting, your voice, I feel is magnified because so many people aren't. So that really is an area that you can be heard in. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I think, I think it's really true. I'm not super involved, but I've done a little bit. It's like you see your um, state representative or your state senator at like events, you know, I go to events and I, and they're there. So it feels very like something you could tackle as opposed to like on the national level where my senator's never even going to meet with me. So, I mean, they might, but it feels a, a lot more uh, challenging. <laughs> yeah. So that's a great point. That's a great point. If you if you want more sidewalks in your community, if you haven't asked, maybe it's a good good idea to again like get some friends, get some neighbors, and go and ask. I love that. I, I also think that people should come when they're meeting with elected officials with, like you said, with questions and being respectful. Some people say, "I need this and I need that." But we're people. Right. And so it's nice. And we and we want to work on the issues. And when you come with curiosity, many times, let's say we want a sidewalk, then I can share with constituents. A sidewalk costs this amount of dollars. This is our budget. Um, so we kind of get to the sidewalk in X amount of time, but we don't have it right now because we're working on this project. Right. And I think it's easier to get involved on the local levels because there's committees like we have the planning commission, there's the election commission. And so it's different ways that people can volunteer and learn more about the local government, because I think people have a lot of assumptions and that's normal. But if you come with um, curiosity, you can learn a lot about the process, too. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's that's a good place for us to wind this up. Curiosity, I feel like, is such a powerful tool in your individual health of just being curious. Why do I stay up late at night? I know it's not good for me. I'm tired every morning. Why do I do that? Just coming with curiosity as opposed to, you know, I can't do this. I'm I'm terrible at this. I you know, I've tried and, and because I think well, like just for that specific example, what I've noticed with people is uh, most of the time when people choose to stay up late, it's because they're so busy during the day, they're not getting everything done and they want to have some downtime, some quiet me time. And so they end up, you know, watching TV for two hours until midnight when they should have gone to bed at 10, right? Or everybody should go to bed when they want, but I'm just saying that as an example, but if you're just curious, instead of blaming yourself, you can say, hey, I wonder why I do that. And if you think about it, you might come up with a really good answer. And then, and then you're leading to solutions. And so I think the curiosity is great 
on every level of these layers of public health that you've talked about, rather than it's very easy to get very cynical and think, oh, they're not going to listen to me or my boss is never going to do anything. But bringing the curiosity, I think that's awesome. (laughs) I'm glad it can be used in every field. (laughs) Yes, I I think it can. I think it can. And uh, just again, that idea that it's all connected and we're all connected to each other. And even just by being as an individual, that interpersonal thing, I think is very powerful. Like you, you told me you love walking and talking. And, you know, if you can invite someone to walk with you, you're now affecting change with someone. You're having a good time. You're getting those benefits, but you're also helping someone else, which I think is beautiful. So, <laughs> And we're going to do it in a park with some water. Yes. Blue space, green space. I feel like we have to come up with some other colors. Yes. You know, I, like... <laughs> You you work on that, Shanice. I want to see that in your Instagram post in a couple of weeks. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for being with us today. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I I love your energy and what you're doing. And and the knowledge that you gave me today is I really appreciate that as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. It's amazing that people get to hear all these different topics. And it was fun. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's the idea. So please, listeners, spread the word, share the podcast so that people can hear many, many, many. That's the goal of this podcast is if you're a woman or you identify as a woman, I want to hear what you're passionate about because that is it's going to inspire all of us. Thank you again, Shanice. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to that episode with Dr. Shanice Chris. Shanice is an associate professor in the health sciences department and director of the Master of Arts in Advocacy and Equity Studies at Furman University. She is also a researcher. She's a founding member of the Big Data for Health Equity Research Collaborative. She does a lot of other things, including being an elected official in the Travelers Rest City Council and just being a community advisor, just very, very active in the community and in her passion for public health. So definitely check out more about Shanice. And I have to give a shout out for her Instagram. I was just looking at the different posts and you know what? I don't know, maybe I'm emotional because I'm still trying to get over this cold. (laughs) But I tell you, seeing Shanice and her mom and her daughter, her beautiful family on Instagram, dancing and engaging, but at the same time also giving beautiful tips of information to help us all with our health. Love, love, love her Instagram. So I got to give a big shout out and I recommend that you go and follow her. The link will be in the show notes, but you can just go to at Dr. Shanice, which is no dot there. It's just D-R-S-H-A-N. I-E-C-E, like niece, Dr. Shanice on Instagram. And also we'll put her LinkedIn link in the show notes as well. So you can check her out there. Thank you so much for listening. And I do want to also remind you that we are doing our love challenge. And that's starting on Monday, December 12th. It is a 12-day free challenge. There's no charge. This is all about creating community and giving you skills and tools about how to practice self-love. So it doesn't 
I think for a lot of us, it doesn't just come naturally to us. And it's so easy to forget to be kind and gentle to ourselves, to practice forgiveness and also not be perfect, right? Because some people are thinking, well, yeah, you know, I'm I'm always my own self cheerleader, but it does your being your own self cheerleader involve when you make mistakes, when things aren't perfect, when you're not up to your standards, do you also be kind to yourself and forgive yourself and love yourself anyway? And that's the motto of the Love Challenge is love yourself anyway. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be simple, like super short videos, little activities that you would do on your own. There's not, not really extra time in the day, not that much. And also getting to know other like-minded people and uh, being part of a community, which we know is so important for our health. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.